And it's way more inspiring when you're like someone who's that everybody is admiring and yet you remain that kid you once was who was madly in love with music and and did that for fun and for joy and you know like Paul McCartney I was trembling so much when I met him in my first rehearsal with David Crosby and he came into the room and he was like patting my back I was like oh don't worry we're both bass players you know <laughs> and he was so cool he made me feel just like equal to him yeah. and and that's a quality that I admire in people when you don't put others down in order to shine bigger yourself but you know when people rise by lifting others that's beautiful Brian Smith here and welcome to the Dream Path podcast where I try to get inside the heads of talented creatives from all over the world my goal is to demystify and humanize the creative process and make it accessible to everyone. Now let's jump in. Maya Lise is on the show today. Maya is a bass player and composer from the post-Soviet country of Estonia. In 2010, she moved to Sweden, where she honed her craft as an electric bass player and composer, obtaining a master's degree in jazz and bass guitar from the Royal College of Music in Stockholm. This is also where she formed her own jazz fusion group, My Group. My story takes us from an island in Estonia to busking in the subways of Stockholm to almost overnight performing with Jackson Brown as well as writing and recording with two-time Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee David Crosby. According to Crosby, when he listens to my play, he doesn't just hear an accomplished musician, he hears several accomplished musicians, and they're all listening to each other. He goes on to say that Mai is a melodic bass player, which makes her really unique it's a difficult style and requires an enormous amount of talent and musical knowledge. It's not something you hear every day. Even within the narrow field of melodic bassists, my sound is unique and impressive. My group has released three albums, Love in 2013, You in 2015, and the third album, Metamorphosis, was released in April 2019, featuring world-renowned guests such as David Crosby, Charles Lloyd, and Greg Lease. I had the privilege of seeing Mai perform at the Bass Bash in Anaheim, California recently as part of the NAMM show. I've also listened to all of her albums, and I can tell you that she's every bit as talented and dynamic on stage as she is on her albums. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this talk with the uber-talented and preeminent bass guitarist, Mai Lise. Mai Lise, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for being on the show. What brings you to Anaheim? Well, it's, a, it's like an annual meeting place for uh, music merchan merchandisers. Right. And music merchants, that's the right the word. Or the National Association of Music Merchants. Merchants, right? yeah. I had to look that up this morning. I didn't know yeah, what it stood for. Yeah, I had for. did the same thing. And musicians, I guess it's also like, you know, you sometimes you don't see anyone for a long time, but you make, can make sure that you see them at NAMM. It's a place where, you know, merchants, they uh, show up kind of... Um, release new gear, new guitars, new pedals, whatever. Musicians are all into that. Um, but uh, I actually had two performances. I played yesterday at 5 o'clock with Marcus Eaton at Sennheiser booth and uh, had actually my first show under my own name in the United, United States of America. And that's the one I saw, I think. Yeah, the, the nine bass bash. 9 o'clock bass bash, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was really cool. Thank you. Appreciate yeah, 
Glad great, you were there. Great performance. Yeah, I got some pictures of you. I don't know if you saw me squatting down there, uh, getting pictures with I my iPhone. I didn't. I was I was just trembling, trying to find my way on the fingerboard. Oh really? <laughs> You're kind of nervous. <laughs> yeah, I mean, bass bash. It's like uh, stepping into the lion's den of bass players, you know. Oh yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, uh, we're all one family, really, uh, speaking the same language and. I guess uh, eventually I just started focusing on that instead of like, oh my God, everybody's judging me. You know, you just have to let go of those fears and just do what you're born to do and, yeah, you know, play what's in your heart. Nobody can judge that, right? Well, I've noticed that, that there is a, a community of, of bass players and it, it does feel like a family or a community. Uh, I, I just started researching bass because I'm a guitar player. I've played guitar for, for years uh, steel string, you know, six string guitars mm -hmm. and, um, acoustic. And I just, this winter got a, my first bass. All right. And, uh, for Christmas, I bought it for myself or my wife did. And it, I bought a PRS, like an older PRS bass. I didn't even know PRS made basses, uh -huh. uh, but I ended up getting one of those cause I had a PRS guitar. So I started looking online at Instagram at all of these accounts and, and there is a whole, community out there of people who are so enthusiastic about the instrument and about the technology and and making advances in the construction of the guitars that looks a lot like the steel string electric guitar community and the drum community they're just they really come together around this instrument and uh, it's a new world for me so yeah, yeah it's, and it's a lot of fun to to learn i i don't know how to play bass yet still but i find myself doing what guitar players do playing lead you know i'm kind of well the thing with bass is as we have this we have this saying in estonia that uh you give your finger but the devil takes your whole hand yeah <laughs> you know is there something like that in english i don't think i i don't think i've heard that phrase before in english yeah so it basically means that you're just like oh i'll just try out this bass a little bit and eventually it's like it's gonna be your main instrument you know uh-huh so Tell us how you found the bass guitar as your instrument. Um, to me, it was really an accident. Actually, like to many other bass players that have found bass guitar through the hand of destiny or whatever. Uh, but um, I was 16 years old. I had played violin before that for like eight years. And I did a bit of singing. I played in a band in Estonia called 2 plus 2 equals 5. It was just like two boys, two girls, and our teacher. And the bass player left the band um, to continue his studies uh, outside his hometown. And then I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I'll just start playing the bass. You know, just, I mean, how hard can it be, right? And like I said, I gave my finger, but the devil took my whole hand. <laughs> and, you know, as soon as I touched the bass, it was like love from first touch. I fell in love with the instrument and just knew that from now on our journeys will go together and then I had to buy my first bass and I didn't know anything about bass guitars so I went to the store and I saw this beautiful red kind of pearly um, five string fretless beautiful beautiful bass that's a by court that Kerbo. is a heck of a uh, purchase for your first bass five but, strings and fretless but the thing is so I buy this bass, not knowing anything about basses, and I'm just like playing it for a couple of months and all that. And all of a sudden, one friend asks or just like tells me like, wow, this is so cool that you're playing fretless. And I'm like, what's that? 
<laughs> you so, didn't even know, you didn't so even know because, how advanced you were. <laughs> so the thing is, like, just because I was, I had played violin for eight years, you know, I didn't, you know. Oh, that makes total sense, yeah, yeah because so you started I, at violin, right? Exactly, yeah. and then, like, I didn't, yeah, it was just, it was a bass. Uh, so eventually I did get myself a fretted bass as well, but, it, yeah, I started off uh, five-string fretless. It was kind of funny. So what do you find to be the advantages of a fretless bass? Um, I think the sound inspires me to play differently than I play with a fretted bass, mostly because the sound has kind of like a, it can make sad songs even sadder just because this, the tone is kind of like crying, you know? Yeah. It has this like little melancholic vibe to it. And also, I'm more careful when I play it because I have to think about intonation and like really find my way on the fingerboard. That means that I can't just shred or just like, you know, noodle around, but I actually play melodies. So the sound inspires me to play more melodic, melodically, and I love that. So I think fretless bass is going to be play a very important role through my whole life. Yeah, I've noticed that about listening to your music and I'm not sure when I'm listening exactly if I'm hearing fretless or not on on the albums I've been listening to but I do notice with the fretless it seems like you you can have more expression in the tones and it and sometimes it almost sounds like a trombone you know kind oh, of yeah. that yeah because you can just you do that smooth transition between notes like that but it does also seem extremely challenging. I've never played a fretless, but it, I would imagine it would be challenging. Yeah, it is. Well, luckily, the violin studies, they really train my ear well, so I can hear, you know, when I'm off pitch, so I can fix my intonation. But, I mean, nobody's perfect. So you started off playing music uh, at what age? I think I got my first, like, singing lessons when I was three, and I took the music school tests when I was five or six or something like that, and they... I was actually too young to to be admitted officially, but they didn't want to let me go, so they actually took me like one year ahead of time and just like gave me like an extra year. So were your parents musicians? <laughs> Is that why they were kind of guiding you in that direction? No, nobody in my family has ever been or is a musician besides me. But even though everybody loves music and, you know, music has been important in their life, but my mom... When she was expecting me, she put like headphones over her belly and played me Vivaldi. Oh, nice. So I like to say that I, I became interested in music in the phase of embryogenesis. Okay. When my ears were evolved. That makes a lot of sense, actually. <laughs> but um, I don't know. You know, I come from Estonia and Estonia is um, has a very strong cultural life, music, you know, Basically, we sang ourselves into freedom from the Soviet uh, occupation. And maybe that's why, like, my parents always found comfort in music, you know. Maybe that's why, I don't know, they saw some talent in me. Maybe I was singing all the time or something like that. And they just decided to put me to music school. Oh. And, uh, well, violin never felt right. But I'm glad that they didn't let me quit because that led me to where I am now. Well, it sounds like a good foundation. And I, I think I read online that you also played piano yeah. at some point. And I, mm -hmm. I, that's how I started in music is basically being forced to take piano lessons. Mm -hmm. And I was always grateful 
afterwards, even though I hated it at the time. Exactly. But I was grateful for that foundation because yeah. it, you can do anything once you understand music theory. and Yeah. And education is a thing that you never, you know, it's never bad for you. you yeah. Know? Well, you, you must have had something special at the age of three for your parents to see that you had something that needed to be cultivated and nurtured musically. I mean, three years old, putting you in, in voice lessons, and then that transitions and evolves into violin and piano, and then finally you find the bass. So tell us about Estonia and your, your transition over to um, Sweden. Well, I grew up on an island, a uh, very small village, so nobody else was playing music there, really, you know, and I was kind of the unpopular kid because everybody else played football, and I, I did have some bullies there. Um, but, you know, all that made me stronger, you know, and um, I don't know, maybe I was a weird kid, but I I just always just followed my, my heart and my bliss. And so eventually, when I graduated high school on my island, where I come from, um, I actually stepped into a music school already on bass. And after I graduated that music school in Tallinn, I felt like I need a bigger challenge, even though Estonian music scene is very, very colorful and rich. Yeah, I just felt like there's something bigger out there for me. I, I can't really explain it, but there's like some sort of call inside you that it's going to be hard, but you have to do this, you know. You have to break through this. And um, so I decided to apply to this jazz school in Sweden. It's very easy in Estonia to become comfortable because you have so many gigs and at weddings and clubs and caterings and stuff like that and and start earning money and then once you're used to having money you don't want to go to a place where you don't have money or where you can't you know where you don't know if you're going to have breakfast the next right. morning you're not going to take any chances or risks yeah but since i never had money anyway i was like i don't care where i am without money so i decided to go to sweden and just practice you know like crazy and I was actually, I think, the first electric bass player who ever got admitted to that school. To the jazz school in Sweden? Yeah. So you went to music school in Estonia, mm -hmm. in, in Tallinn, you said? Mm hmm And then was that kind of a, so that was after high school? Yeah. So that that was kind of a college program? It wasn't a, even like college, it was like a, just like a higher education than than high school, but like a, just like a higher paper of music, you know, yeah. but not really a college. And that was the same school that I applied in, in, in Sweden. That wasn't like a college, but like a really heavy music school, you know, yeah. to prepare you for college. Okay. So I got admitted there. And um, that I think that was the year that I did the, the very foundational work, you know, just practicing like crazy, being away from my family and friends for the first time and crying my eyes out until I was like, you know, okay, am I going to keep crying or am I going to do something about it? And then I put together my band, my group. Uh-huh. MAI group. Exactly. My <laughs> group, my group. Um, and that changed my life. You know, all of a sudden everything seemed much easier because I could play music and really put all my joys and sorrow into music and play with like-minded people. And it was kind of a very, very kind of a big, a big milestone in my life. And then I, after that, I applied to the Royal College of Music in Stockholm. Uh, I got admitted, and I did both my bachelor and my master's degree there. In fact, master's degree I already graduated in a tour bus, David Crosby's tour bus. 
on Skype in the middle of the night uh, over the Atlantic Ocean between Texas and Tennessee. So by the time we reached Memphis at eight o'clock in the morning, I had my master's degree. Oh, fantastic. So let before we get into um, David Crosby and touring with him and playing with him, I want to go back to get a sense of the uh, place where you grew up. So you grew up on an island mm -hmm. in Estonia. And, and the research that I've done on that country, I've never been there. But it, I think I read that there were 2,200 islands. Yeah, lots of islands. And so you're on one of these islands. How many people are on this island? I'm from the biggest island called Sarema. It, uh, into translating into English, it's island land. Uh, it's the biggest island, I think. I mean, like my hometown has like maybe 13,000 people. Okay. Uh, I don't know, maybe four, 30, 40,000 people. Yeah, pretty small there. town. Yeah. Yeah, a small area. Um, but it was beautiful. You know, I grew up in this farm, learned how to work hard for my dreams, for something that I want. I learned uh, to love unconditionally since we had so many animals around and love, learned to love nature and, and appreciate what I have. Yeah. So it was beautiful. And we were very, very loved by, by our grandparents and we were many cousins and it was, it was a beautiful, beautiful time. And then uh, you moved to Tallinn. Did, did your family go with you? No, they stayed at the island. So Tallinn and the research that I've done on that city, very metropolitan, large. I think it's the, the largest city in Estonia, isn't it? Yeah, but uh, it still has like 500,000 people. I mean, L.A. is, yikes, about <laughs> 18 million. So Tallinn's like the L.A. of Estonia, but not quite yeah, as, exactly. <laughs> as metropolitan. And then you make your way to, to Sweden and you graduate with your master's. So how did you go from having my group in Sweden to touring with David Crosby? Well, I believe that kind of the key to success, whatever success is for you, that's a different story. But uh, in my case is a combination of luck, uh, hard work and talent. So basically, I have always been a real hard worker. And as a woman, especially because very often men are like, oh, you're just getting your gigs because you're a girl, you know, stuff like that. You hear that? Yeah, I do. Oh. You know, it's horrible. That is horrible. And shame on those people that do say something like that. But uh, may that be on their conscience. Yeah, well, show them your master's degree. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> um, but so that was 2015. And I was already had kind of made my way up in Sweden and played with a lot of artists and toured a lot and recorded. And uh, in June 2015, I was busking on the streets um, of Stockholm with Doug Seegers, who's actually from Nashville, a kind of like a country singer-songwriter, just for fun. And everything went wrong on that day, you know, um, everything. The police kicked us out from the subway station because you can't play there. And well, then I was like, let's go to, you know, Old Town Stockholm. Let's play there because Doug had never been there. So, but... I know Stockholm like the back of my hand, but on that day I took the wrong subway, took the wrong exit, took the wrong turns on the streets, everything went wrong. And by the time that we got to uh, Old Town and sat down to play, it started raining in 10 minutes. But during those 10 minutes, Greg Lees walked by, who was in Stockholm touring with Jackson Brown. So this super long story short, um, the next day I went on stage with Jackson and his band. And uh, that kind of started the whole crazy whirlwind adventure incredible um, and that's and where the that's where you talk about luck exactly those 10 minutes when everything went wrong but now i look back and i'm like wow 
actually everything went right. Everything was almost like guided by the hand of destiny that mm -hmm. I would be there at that moment, you know. But anyway, then I asked Greg Lees to play on my next record and he gave that record to David Crosby. And basically like a couple of weeks after that, I got a letter from Crosby's producers that they wanted me to play on Crosby's next record. And then I already went to LA in 2016. Crosby and I, we wrote together the song Hair It's Almost Sunset. And yeah, and then I started touring with him. So it was all very natural in many ways, but it wouldn't have happened without that 10 minutes on that on the streets of Stockholm. Or maybe it would have, you know, but in some other way, you know, because yeah. I believe that, you know, life brings us the people that you're meant to meet. As you may have noticed, there are great resources and advice mentioned in all our episodes. And for many of them, we actually collect all of these resources for you in one easy place, our newsletter. You can go to dreampathpod.com newsletter to join. It's not fancy, just an email about each week's episode, featured artists, and resources to help you on your journey. Thanks. And now back to the interview. Yeah, I'm fascinated by those. I mean, that's kind of the whole idea of the podcast, which is dream path and following your dreams. Yeah. But that's kind of a cliche to follow your dreams. How do you do that? What's the practical application of that? And, and it sounds like for you, you have your ear to the ground because you're, you're open to these opportunities that are coming your way. Right. And you're going with it, going with the flow. And you meet this musician, Greg Lease, and, um, and you're open to playing with him. That must have been terrifying to yeah. get up on stage with Jackson Brown. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But you did it. And I look did. where you're at now. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? I mean, I still can't believe it sometimes. And, and like I said, even though I've, you know, I've worked all my life towards making my dreams come true and eventually playing with my dream musicians and proving all the odds wrong that I don't have any money or a place to live or, or that I'm from tiny Estonia and how am I going to get to U.S. or wherever, you know. But like someone said, you know, head in the head in the clouds and feet on the ground that dream big, take little steps. And my little steps have been just like working hard on my skills, honing my craft, um, staying true to myself, proving the others wrong that actually I can play. Not only can you play, but you can lead a band with your melodic approach to bass playing. And, yeah. and that's and that's something that I'm still learning about because my understanding of bass has always been uh, it's a background instrument. You know, there are a few exceptions to that, like Les Claypool from Primus, yeah. and um, and some of the uh, the funk bands from the '70s and '80s. You had a lot of bass that was kind of out there mm -hmm. in the front, uh, but most of the time it's a background instrument and you and, and i've heard david crosby on youtube talking about this how your melodic playing is so unique that when you listen to your albums you hear the bass as the driving force of Thank the music you. and then but you're not selfish about it i mean you share with the saxophone player and the keyboards and and the guitar and everybody else it's a very organic Fan, you know, you, you get a sense that there's a family playing, yeah. playing this music. But at the same time, you know that the bass player, you, is um, driving the narrative. Mm. That's, that's my impression anyway. Well, I'm really glad you're saying that because, you know, 
I've always wanted to be the kind of ba- band leader who's not making it all about me, 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 and look at me and my playing and let me slap and tap and, and you know, give you fireworks. But not that there's anything wrong with that. But I want to be like Steve Gadd, you know, that he's so, you know, he's a band leader. It's his songs. Tell us more about Steve Gadd. He's not all about, like, every song doesn't have a drum solo. You know what I mean? Okay. He, he actually is just, like, there to support and bring out the best in his co-musicians, you know? And it's a beautiful thing, not being selfish in music. So I'm really glad you were saying that. Thank you. Yeah. But Steve Gadd, yeah, I mean, he's one of the biggest, most influential drummers of our time. Uh-huh. And what I love about him is exactly the, the modesty that he brings in his music because we all know what he can do on his drums, but he feels like he doesn't need to show it all the time, you know. Mm-hmm. But like he really serves the music, he really serves the song, and uh, it's a beautiful thing. So do you think that jazz, your jazz education, has prepared you to do the wide variety of music that you do better than other forms of music? So. For instance, if you had gone to music school and focused on rock or classical, do you think that that would have hampered you or hindered you in any way from being as flexible as you are today? I think jazz is definitely is going the deepest. And that's why I went for it. I mean, because I do have like a foundation of classical music because of my violin studies. And I love the, the foundation that I got, like good sight reading abilities and all that, you know, air training. But I chose jazz because it really goes deep in there, you know, in, in terms of harmonic structures and, and scales and all that stuff, you know. For me, it was like, you know, maybe some people need to do ecstasy, you know, to hear things that they haven't heard before. But, you know, you can get the same same effect with education. You learn new stuff, and all of a sudden you start start hearing them things that you didn't hear before because you didn't know they exist. You're making connections and neural synapses. Exactly. You know, that all of a sudden you start, like when you write music, you start, oh, I want to have this chord in there, which is like maybe some weird altered or, I don't know, plus five or minus five or whatever chord, things that you didn't know that existed before. And therefore you didn't hear them. Once you learned them, you hear them, you recognize them at places, you know. And it's such a beautiful thing, you know. But really, I mean, jazz and classical music, they're so connected. If you listen to like Bach, like all his like sonatas and stuff, they're just like, I mean, how do you say like tied together? There's so much jazz in, yeah. in the old classical music, you know. It just was labeled differently, you know. When it comes to rock music, I don't know if you can really learn rock music. How do you learn rock music? I, I guess um, you learn three chords. and <laughs> Yeah, it seems kind of start. like a... Start like, emulating um, others. Yeah. So for me, jazz was a choice because, I mean, I've lost, listened to a lot of like rock and pop music, but maybe that's what makes me special is that I kind of bring my jazz colors into rock and bring my rockier side into jazz. Yeah. Who knows? Jazz to me, um, and I, I'm, I'm not a good musician, so I'm still learning the piano and I, my piano teacher fired me when I was 12 years old. So oh, cute. <laughs> uh, I didn't, uh, <laughs> I, I don't um, have the, the foundation that I would like to have, but when I'm studying piano and chords and chord structure, 
I'm, I'm finding, like you're saying, once you make those connections, like I just found out recently within the last couple of years what C7 is versus C right. or C9. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, okay, that's... And then, and then you can do that with any chord. You can just add a seventh, add a ninth. Right. And it, to me, it's like, it feels like I'm learning a foreign language. Yeah. And it feels amazing. Once it's there, right. you're like, okay, now I get it. And for me, jazz is like the most difficult foreign language to learn because it's just not as accessible as the three chord progression pop and rock that you hear. It's got nuance, complexity, emotion, uh, emotion. Yeah. Um, But it's something I want to learn more about, especially after hearing your music. Thank you. So what's your favorite chord? Um, I would say probably B minor. I, I, I go to B minor a lot. I like, um, I like the minor chords. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Minor nine. Mm. Oh yeah. <laughs> I wish. Yeah, I wish I could um, rattle off chords as well as you. But yeah, for me, the minor chords really hit me. Yeah. And but I'm I'm into blues too, so I like the the major pentatonic. But I usually mm. go to the the minor pentatonic because yeah, what I kind of gravitate towards. Yeah. So yeah. do you play blues at all? Yeah, that's well, like one of the very you know basic things that you have to practice in your jazz education just like simple blues and eventually go to kind of the jazz blues with all the turnarounds and two five ones um so i love a good blues yeah i don't know why my music isn't like pulled towards that so much but i love a good blues yeah so what do you find to be the most helpful or illuminating in terms of working with people who have been around for decades, like David Crosby, Jackson Brown, and Greg. That they are human beings just like I am, with all their strengths and weaknesses and and uh, fears and all that. And it's very inspiring to see, you know, that it's okay for me to make a mistake if they are making a mistake, you know, mm. and they're like idolized for decades. Yeah. Or, or, or to hear anybody, Chaco or Miles Davis or, or Coltrane or whoever, you know, and it's just like what you make of it and how you, how you pull yourself through that stuff, you know. Do you beat yourself up for it or do you just laugh about it and just like, oh, you know, whatever. Yeah, it's, it seems like we mythologize musicians like that, uh, rock stars. Yeah. And I'm not sure that it really serves us to do that. No. I mean, um, they're, they are icons. They're, they're complete cultural icons. And, and um, there's, they're called rock stars for a reason. But at the same time, if we mythologize them and we, as musicians, they are other than us. It's, it's not attainable because they're so far us. out there. You know, but, if, but if they're one of us, it seems like that's a healthier, more functional way of yeah. approaching music. Yeah, because the thing what people do is they start comparing, especially musicians, they start comparing their story to someone else's story. And like I said, success is a different thing to different people. You know, is it money? Is it love? Is it millions of gigs? Is it attention? What is it? What is success for you, you know? But to be honest, you can be a rock star, but you can also be a really nice person. And that's like what Jackson Brown is, for example. He's so selfless, everything that he does for the environment. You know, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And we've, because we've all met like those, yeah, those rock stars that are probably spoiled, you know, that are just horrible people. 
and that's sad. Why are you treating other people horribly? You're just like, I mean, I mean, I would say a really colorful Estonian expression, but I know there's a different version in English that they you pull out your pants one leg at a time just like I do, you mm -hmm. know? So be nice. And my grandma said, you know, it's nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice. And that's something I carry with me all my life. I always will, you know. Great lesson. Yeah. So I don't see any reason why some big stars should become assholes. It's just not cool. And it's way more inspiring when you're like someone who's that everybody is admiring and yet you remain that kid you once was who was madly in love with music and and did that for fun and for joy and you know like Paul McCartney I was trembling so much when I met him in my first rehearsal with David Crosby and he came into the room and he was like patting my back I was like oh don't worry we're both bass players you know <laughs> and he was so cool he made me feel just like equal to him yeah. and and that's a quality that I admire in people when you don't put others down in order to shine bigger yourself but you know when people rise by lifting others that's beautiful hmm. don't be an asshole okay good quote period I'll, I'll put it in the show notes <laughs> so so how did that session come together with David Crosby and Paul McCartney well it was the first rehearsal for Crosby's first tour for me and uh, we were rehearsing somewhere in LA and all of a sudden I hear you know that Jennifer Lopez is on one studio on the other side and Paul McCartney was on the other side and and then Paul's band just came to see our rehearsal incredible and then the next day we were invited to see their rehearsal which was absolutely incredible I got to see you know Paul just as far as you are from me right now nailing his face he's incredible you know yeah but he was also a really sweet person i will never ever forget that and inspiring me to not become an asshole <laughs> yeah talk about iconic and and, and mythological he, he's right up there with some of the most mythologized musicians in the world yeah paul mccartney and for good reason uh, but it's good to hear that he's a nice guy really nice yeah so what what is jazz fusion i've, I've been trying to figure that out I looked at the categories of music that you play and mm. you know it's jazz jazz fusion rock country uh, what is jazz fusion i think jazz fusion is considered like a mixture of different types of music different genres so it's like fusion you know fusion food fusion music yeah uh so fusion itself can be like really harsh kind of like very complicated million time signature changes very very complicated jazz fusion is probably a little softer you know, they consider weather report jazz fusion, right? Yeah. It's not on the same par with maybe, uh, or like the same style than X Planet, you know, which right. is considered fusion. So it's jazz, but it has like influences from rock, pop, Latin. I noticed last night, I thought that you were playing on a different time signature as the drummer for a while. Yeah. And, and then it finally came together. And I was like, oh, that's brilliant. I was, I was with somebody, I was telling you see that? You hear that? I think that's two different time signatures. And that's what's so cool about learning about jazz yeah. is if you know a little bit about music and time signatures, you can pick up on that. You're like, oh, okay. Now I'm starting to understand the language mm -hmm. a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. But, wow, uh, cool. I, yeah, but you're, um, but it, it seems like the process of learning how to do that would be like 
you know, rubbing your belly while patting your head at the same time. It's just, (laughs) you have to train your brain to feel that. It is. Yeah. What are some of the struggles that you have and that you see other musicians having in terms of just the business of music, being able to pay the bills, put food on the table? That for sure. Yeah. Um, cause you, cause you basically, if you're a freelancer, you never know, right? You just have to keep working and practicing and keeping your technical skills up and basically also have like a social life because you tend to play with the people you hang out with. And that might be hard for some musicians, like for me, I'm a total loner. Then the other thing that's hard is in the world that we live today is the paradox of wanting to play music, only focus on music. Most musicians do not want to make like the self-marketing and self-promoting, which we are kind of forced to do now in the world of social media. You know, the constant, yeah, paradox of just wanting to play music and, and, and play what's in your heart. But instead of that, you have to spend so much time on like social media oh. and kind of fighting through that news feed, you know. Back mm-hmm. in the days, they didn't have Instagram or Facebook, you know, the, the news of a great player spread from mouth to mouth, you know. It was like, oh, this guy is great, you have to go see him, you know. Or the only way to reach a person was to call on the home phone, you know. Now most of your audience is sitting in their phones and you if basically if you're not on social media it's like you almost don't exist you know yeah. and it's a horrible thing because like to me it's a struggle and it's even kind of ridiculous that when you like counting likes you know and when you upload a photo of a nice sunset you get like 100 likes and then you put like a nice selfie with a bass guitar you get like 3000 likes you know <laughs> so it's like i feel so cheap when i'm doing that it's horrible yeah, it, it, it seems like there's there's a lot of noise out there and so much content that you're trying to break through. And we all are driven by the likes and yeah. trying to be seen and, you know, have our work appreciated and paid attention to. And it seems like that would be exhausting. It is very exhausting. It's so draining emotionally. So imagine all the mental problems that arise for people that are like dealing with self-doubts and like self-esteem and all that. And then they see that, oh, someone else is doing much better on Instagram, you know, Mm. not thinking that, well, that's not real life. You know, everybody's just putting out their best side and, but everybody has their struggles, you know, but yeah, I have a feeling that very many musicians are struggling with trying to be seen, trying to be heard under all this noise that is the constant interaction on social media you know now do you find that streaming is becoming a reasonable source of income or that performing is really where most of your how you pay your bills basically well i definitely pay my bills by playing live streaming it brings out a little bit money but of course not as much as like selling records um and i do sell most of my records while i'm playing live Oh, yeah. And merchandise like shirts and things like that. I haven't done that yet, even though I think I'm, I will probably soon. Yeah. But, um, you know, like streaming has its good sides as well, you know, which is you don't produce plastic, you know, you don't produce like CDs or, you know, the covers or whatever. Um, So you're kind of helping the environment with it. Yeah. You're you're also helping Spotify and Apple. Exactly. (laughs) But I wish 
just musicians would earn more with it because it this like balance is very unfair yeah it seems that seems to be the consensus of the people i've talked to is that there's a there's a power differential right now for and it's been this way for forever i think but the corporations that control what gets seen and heard yeah take most of the money exactly yeah so that's the sad part so where do you see yourself in the next five years i'm in the same place as i was when back in the days when i felt that there are big things ahead i just don't know what they are or how i'm gonna get there i just have to stay on this course and trust my journey and trust myself i don't know where i'm gonna be but i do know that i'm gonna be in the right place <laughs> you nice. know it's like i'm I believe that life will guide the right people and lessons and right things to me. I will be given opportunities. I just have to be wise enough to probably say no to some and say yes to others. Mm-hmm. Um, just recognize what speaks to my soul. Um, but I, I would very much like to be on the same course with this peace in my heart that I have found and, and just follow my bliss. Nice. Now that you have um, bared your soul about the, the pain of the social media feed, where can we find you on social media? Yeah, you can like, comment, and leave messages. <laughs> Encouraging messages. Thank you very much. At my lease, yeah. On Instagram and Facebook. Uh, on Spotify, I have three albums out with my group. M-A-I group, one word. iTunes as well. Um, but yeah, I'm, I mostly work on Instagram. That's kind of the most painless place for me. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, and I'll put all of this in the show notes, mm. but, um, for those listening, uh, it's, uh, M A I L E I S Z. That's right. Okay. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Hey, thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the dream path podcast. If so, I have a favor to ask. Can you go to your favorite podcast service and give me a rating and review? Your feedback is what keeps this podcast going. I appreciate your time. And as always, go find your dream path.